Well, if you'd open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, we're continuing on and the light is at the end of the tunnel. We're almost done in the book of Ephesians. Let me pray for us one more time. God, we thank you for the callings with which you've called us to, the vocations that you've given us, the occupations that you've given us, entrusted to us. Now, Lord, I do pray that you would help us to live out our vocations as to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Let me read. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Literally, as to Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same thing to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Name that movie. Whistle while you work. Snow White, got it. This morning, God is going to call us not to whistle while we work, though that may be an outworking of what he's calling us to. God is calling us to worship him while we work. Even to worship him with our work, with our vocations, with our occupations, whatever that may be. So, if you are working part-time at minimum wage, if you're a student, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a soldier, or you are a CEO vested with all sorts of authority and raking in the dough, if you are a Christian, you are to work as to Christ. Work as to Christ. God wants you, brother, sister. He wills you to live out your occupation as to Jesus. So this morning, five points to help you work as unto the Lord, as to Christ. Point number one, Christians work. Point number one. just to clarify something. I hope you realize that work is not a result of the fall. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, before the fall, God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue and to exercise dominion over the earth, God called Adam and Eve to be stewards, to work his creation. 
They're called to tend the garden before the fall, which means this. Work is good. We were made to work. We were made to steward God's creation. We were, to- we were made to use our time in ways that advance God's purposes on the earth. But then the fall happened. And when sin entered the human experience, toil entered the workplace. Sin distorts work by making it toilsome, difficult. And sin enters the workplace, corrupting work relationships. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, I'm not sure if you noticed, the first word, slaves. And then Ephesians 6, 5, and then 6, 9, we see the word masters. Slavery is a result of the fall. Slavery is a distortion and corruption of work relationships. Slavery is a system that makes people into property in order to accomplish several things, one of which is really cheap labor. I'm guessing that when you hear the word slavery, you think about our nation's history in that blight on our nation of hundreds of years of enslaving Africans. Now what you need to realize is that there are some differences between the system of slavery in our country and then the slavery system that took place in the first century Greco-Roman world. They're not identical, but they are immoral. Slavery is immoral because it denies a human being's rights, intrinsic value as an image bearer of God. That's why it's wrong. It objectifies a human being into a means of production. One first century writer, speaking of slaves, said that they're nothing more than a living tool. A means to an economic end. But you know what? God does not see people as living tools. Our great God sees people made in His image as worshipers. Hardwired to worship Him. So all this to say, Christians work because work is good. And the distortion of sin has corrupted our work, but now by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is seeking to redeem our work. He's looking to rework our work by reworking our hearts. I haven't asked the glaring question yet. I wake up to that song every morning, by the way. Here's the glaring question. Okay, so Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, Paul is talking about slavery and masters, right? Why doesn't Paul in this passage call 
for the abolition of slavery. Why doesn't he do that? By not doing that, is he condoning slavery? Is the apostle saying it's okay to own another person? No. And here's why. You've got to remember that back when this was written, we're just talking a couple decades out from the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so Christianity is, is a really kind of small thing in the Greco-Roman scene. And so there was really no political clout whatsoever. But even if they had political clout, it's not the modus operandi of the kingdom of Jesus. God works from the inside out. God works from the bottom up. God works from small to big. God works from individuals into society. So what Paul is doing here is he's addressing an immoral cultural issue on an individual level from within the corrupted system. And so I know that because elsewhere Paul says things like this. This is 1 Timothy 1.10. Paul condemns slave traders. He condemns enslavers. These are people who would enslave people and sell them into slavery to make a buck. In 1 Corinthians 7.21, he actually encourages slaves that if they can, to acquire their freedom. There's this little book in your New Testament called Philemon. And Philemon was a Christian, and he owned slaves. And Paul wrote him a letter because one of his slaves, Onesimus, had run away. And while Onesimus had run away, he bumped into Paul. Paul shared the gospel with him, and Onesimus became a Christian. And so Paul writes this letter back to Philemon, and he says in 15 and 16, hey, I'm going to send this guy back to you. And when he comes back, realize he's more than a slave to you. He is your brother. Do you see what Paul is doing right there? He's saying you're equal in God's sight, even though you may have different occupational roles. Essentially, he's saying you were both bought by the same priceless blood of Jesus. I read this quote by a commentator this week. Christianity's primary emphasis has always been the transformation of individuals to influence society, not the transformation of society to influence individuals. The gospel works from the inside out, from the bottom up, from small to big, from individuals leavened through culture and society. Just because Paul doesn't call for the abolition of slavery here doesn't mean he condones it. He's working against slavery from the inside out by helping people see that the gospel changes your hearts and therefore changes how you relate to other people. So now the question becomes, okay, how do we take a passage like this written to slaves and masters 2,000 years ago and bring it to apply on our vocational situations today? How do you do that? Well, here's how. First, you've got to realize it's written to Christians. 
So Paul wrote this letter to Christians in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and the majority of the people in this room are Christians today. So it's going to get some traction. But as far as I know, there's no slaves in the room. Is anybody in the room owned by another person? Are there any masters in the room? Someone who owns another person? So though it's written to Christians, there's still some differences. So here's how we're going to apply it. Here's the key. Though there is not a slave-master authority structure in place in our culture today, there is an authority structure in place nonetheless. Those who are under authority, workers, and those who are exercising authority, supervisors. Hence the title of the sermon, Workers and Supervisors. With that realization, God is calling us this morning to work as to Christ, whether you're a worker or a supervisor. Everybody is going to work as to Christ. So now the question becomes, how do Christians work as to Christ? And so, point one, Christians work. Point two now, Christians work from within. Out of our hearts. Intrinsically motivated. In Ephesians 6.5, if you look there, where Paul writes, with a sincere heart, Paul's not talking about that nine-ounce muscle pumping blood through your body right now. He's talking about your crank house of why you do what you do. When he writes in 6.6 that we are to do the will of God from the heart, he's talking about your inner man, your inner being. In 6.7, when he writes to render service with a good will, He's writing of something that comes from within a Christian. He's writing about what motivates you. What motivates you to work the way that you do. Your crank house. So what Paul is doing here is motivating us from within. Which means this. No matter wherever you are, no matter what time it is, wherever, whenever, no matter what you're doing, we can be motivated to work, use our time as to Christ. We are to have an internalized motivation to work, working from the heart. As Christians, we are to work a certain way because of something we treasure in our hearts. And that something, of course, is Christ. Did you notice all the references to Jesus in this passage? Look at verse 9. Masters, knowing that he who is their master and yours is in heaven. That master is Jesus. Verse 8. Those who do good, those who do good will will receive back from the Lord, Jesus. Verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, Jesus, and not to man. Verse 6, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. As servants of Christ, 
And verse 5, those under authority are to do what those in authority tell them to do out of fear and trembling with sincerity of heart as to Christ. It's all about Jesus. Verse 5 is a really interesting verse. You see those words fear and trembling? It's rarely, if ever, used, that phrase, fear and trembling, rarely, if ever, used of one human being's relationship to another human being. It always is used of a person's attitude of heart towards God. And so when you read the word fear, think reverence, think awe. An awe that makes you shake. That's the word tremble. It's a reverence that controls your body. It's a reverence that controls all of who you are. Another word for it is called worship. With sincerity of heart. That word sincerity actually means singleness of heart. Integrity of heart. Oneness, unity, an undivided focus of Heart, one heart, all in for Christ. With fear and trembling, with a sincerity of heart, singleness, integrity of heart, as to Christ. It's all about Christ. Jesus Christ is all glorious. Do I have an amen? Our love for him, our reverence for him compels us to live our lives at work, our occupations for him. So when your supervisor in the flesh tells you to do something, you say, yes. And your yes is actually a yes that goes right through your supervisor to Jesus. Your obedience to your earthly supervisor is obedience to your heavenly master, Jesus. So the fear and trembling in verse 5, that's not fear and trembling at your supervisor, earthly supervisor. That's fear and trembling with an integrity of heart at Jesus. How's that for a motivator? Well, how does that happen? How does a Christian live for Christ in the workplace? Well, the good news is not that complicated. What you really need to do, first and foremost, is set your heart on Christ. That's where it all starts. The way you do that is by looking to Jesus in this great book. It's called the Bible. It's all about Him. Hey, when was the last time that you were in a gospel? And that you were soaking up Jesus? Like your nose was like right there. You're like, oh, I could, what would it be like to be? Coming ashore with him at the country of the Gerasenes. What would that be like? I've had the privilege um, the last couple Sundays to be preaching at our Sunday morning breakfast. And I've been preaching out of the Gospel of Mark. And I'm not sure who's benefiting most. I love it. It's like Jesus is awesome. He's amazing. His authority over nature, his authority over the demonic, his authority over disease and ultimately over death. He's amazing. It changes the way I roll every day. It changes the way that I use my time, believe it or not. 
you know what? You don't have to be a preacher in order to have your heart set on Jesus. Are you having a hard time at work? The first place to check is where your heart is. In order to work as to Christ from your heart, your heart must be freshly awed, daily awed by Christ himself. Christians work as to Christ from within. The heart. Point three. Christians work according to a higher standard. Let me ask you a question. Whose eyes are you most aware of at work? Your human supervisor's eyes or the eyes of Jesus? In verse 6, God tells us that we are to obey the will of our unseen master in heaven over doing the will of our supervisors on earth. I've had a variety of jobs over the course of my very short life. A variety of jobs. My most notable job was I was the assistant maintenance man at an upscale trailer park in the state of New Jersey. It was interesting, to say the least, for a summer. But over the course of my life, there's one thing I've noticed about a certain kind of worker. When the boss is away, this guy is leaning on a shovel, telling stories, looking busy without actually working. Anybody know who I'm talking about? But when the boss steps onto the work site, this guy is like a tornado of productivity. He's throwing dirt, talking shop, looking the part, maybe even breaking a sweat. This is an example of what not to be. When Paul writes, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, that describes someone who's a people pleaser, who's just looking to do things by way of eye service. Actually, this person is an example of a divided heart, an insincere heart, a, a lack of integrity. He is one type of worker when the boss isn't there, then another type of wor worker when the boss is there. That type of worker is more concerned about what his human supervisor thinks than what Jesus thinks about him. Because one who is motivated by Jesus works the same way all the way through. This guy, this people pleaser, he will do what he needs to get done to keep the boss happy. But make no mistake about it, the real person he's living for is himself. Here's how to know when you're living for your unseen master in heaven. You do his will from your heart no matter what. Why? Because his will is the most important thing to do. Why is that? Well, if you're a Christian... You may be presently employed by company X, Y, and Z, but you will be 
always, always a slave of Christ Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. I thought slavery was immoral. How can someone be a slave of Christ Jesus? Is that immoral? Well, most slavery is immoral, but there's a kind of slavery in which a person freely submits themselves to the lordship of another. And when a sinner initially puts their faith in Christ, Christ, by His blood, frees them from enslavement to sin and to death and the devil. And the payment Jesus pays to free a sinner that way is His own life. And having been liberated from the slavery to sin, a Christian then joyfully, reverently, submits themselves fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ every day for as long as He has breath. And if you think that coming under the Lordship of Christ means being reduced to some kind of object of no value, you couldn't be further from the truth. When one becomes a slave of Jesus, instead of being worthless, lifeless, purposeless, hopeless, and joyless, one finds fullness of worth, fullness of life. Fullness of purpose, fullness of hope, fullness of joy. Jesus himself said, I came that they may have life and might have it abundantly to the full. To become a servant of Christ then is just another way of saying, I'm living my life totally for Christ because he's totally worth it. Even if that means I must displease my earthly supervisor. I'm a servant of Christ first and foremost, and I will do his will. What we're being told here is this, to obey the will of God from our hearts. You can sum up his will in two commandments. Commandment number one, love God with everything you got. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And if those two commands function as guardrails on the path of holiness and you're walking that path, you are living your life in obedience to the will of God. You can be confident that you're pleasing Him when that path leads you through your eight hours of work every day. The fourth thing I want you to see. Christians work with eager affection. Look at verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. That word translated goodwill in the ESV or wholeheartedly in the NIV. It's a word that kind of means a couple things in English. There's not like a one English word that gets it. It means eagerness with affection. The idea is to do your work with an eager kindness of heart. So maybe coming from the other angle of what it's not may help. What this is not is doing your work begrudgingly or complainingly or lazily or procrastinatingly. 
Why? It's right there. Because we work as to the Lord and not to man. He is our motivation. We work as if we are doing our work for Jesus because ultimately we are doing our work for Jesus. It's all about Him. He is our Master. And He wills us to work eagerly as to Him. Who you work for makes all the difference. It's the difference of being joyful at work and not. And what we are being told here is that whatever work you do, whatever your occupation may be, do it as to the Lord, your Master, Jesus Christ. So here's what I would recommend for this work week approaching us very quickly. Make that three-word phrase, as to Christ, your work mantra. Well, you may be asking, what does this as to Christ eagerness look like? Well, I took a shot. Four examples. The fifth is from true life. First one is this. What as to Christ eagerness looks like at work? Jim, we've got a backed up toilet by the loading docks and, you know, the CEO is taking a tour of the plant in 20 minutes. It smells like something died over there. I'm going to freak out. Can you take care of it? Three words come through your mind. As to Christ. Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. Can you show me where the plunger and containment suit is? I'll be right there. <laughs> you're a young mom. Better yet, you're a mom with kids under two. You've just changed and fed Junior for the second time that night, and it's 2.09 a.m. You go back to your bed. You look at the clock. You do some math. You start thinking, man, maybe I'll wake up at a glorious 7.30. I'll actually get five hours of uninterrupted sleep. This is amazing. You close your eyes. You look over at the clock. It's 3.37 a.m. Oh! You move your legs over the side of your bread. As to Christ. As to Christ, you make your way into the baby's room and you say, it's okay, sweetheart. Mommy's here. Mommy's here to help. Mommy's here to serve. Another illustration you know, Tammy, I, uh, I know you're religious and everything, but I also know that you like working here. And now, how long have you been here now? Five years, maybe? I think you're up for promotion, right? Well, here's what I need you to do for me. Would you mind going through last quarter's sales numbers and just increasing my numbers by 5 or 6% across the board? And if anyone asks... 
by the way, would you get that to me in just a couple days? Because i got to present those adjusted figures in a PowerPoint for next week's sales meeting. Well, your heart sinks as three words come across your mind. As to Christ. Excuse me, sir. I'd rather keep my integrity than get a promotion. I cannot change those numbers. You're a student. That's your occupation. And your teacher has assigned a 10-page paper on To Kill a Mockingbird that's due in four weeks. Your first thought? Awesome. I've got three and a half weeks just to kick back. Then three words come into your mind. As to Christ. You look at your watch, realize you have an hour before dinner, so you go to the library, you check out the last copy of To Kill a Mockingbird, and start reading. As to Christ. As to Christ eagerness. That's what it can look like. Here's the true to life situation. Before becoming the lead pastor here at Christ the King Church, I actually served as a youth pastor of another church. And at that church, um, the church had hired a man, and his name was Dominic, is Dominic, to keep up the building. And one particular day, I was walking through this building's multi-purpose room to find Dominic doing two things simultaneously. He was sweeping the floor, and, and, I, and I'm guessing it must have been his 350th time sweeping that floor. But it was the other thing that he was doing that stirred my heart. He was singing to a Savior. He didn't hear me come in, and he was pushing the broom away from me, so he didn't see me either. But he was singing to Jesus while he was sweeping. Dominic was sweeping as to Christ. He was worshiping while he worked. You see the difference that Jesus can make in the way you work? Here's another difference it makes. By and large, when Jesus is your motivation for working, you should be a joy to work with. You should be a joy to work under. You should be a joy to work over. Your as to Christ eagerness makes you a joy. And it's all about Christ. The fifth thing I want you to see. Christians work for a future review and reward. Christians work for a future review and reward. You see that in verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. A review of a lifetime is coming for each of us. Your lifetime will be reviewed. In Paul, writing to both slaves and masters, he appeals to this future reckoning in verse 8, and it's also implied in verse 9, and knowing that your master in heaven 
is impartial. He judges impartially. Paul is reminding both workers and supervisors that Jesus sees all and will recompense all, each one accordingly. Now, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10, every Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so if you're a Christian in the room, and all of a sudden you hear the word judgment, you're going to stand before Jesus, and you get this big lump in your throat because you're like, man, is he going to let me in or not? Be assured, your salvation has been secured based upon the faithful and finished work of Christ on the cross. What we're talking about here is a judgment of our faithfulness to Him. We're to be sobered that we will be held to account for the way we live our lives. So 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what you need to know, Christian, is that though you're saved, you don't need to fear damnation. You don't need to fear being cast into the lake of fire. But what you do need to realize is that there is a review coming, and the one who's going to review you is Jesus himself. He has authority to review your life. Now, regarding the reward, notice in verse 8 that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. It's a promise. So here's what that means. Has ever, anybody been overlooked at work? Has anybody done good things at work and nobody noticed? Jesus noticed. Though our good work may be unintentionally overlooked by our supervisors or may be intentionally ignored by our supervisors because we're light in the Lord and we may be a thorn in the side, we can be confident that our Lord Jesus sees with a comprehensive vision of everything that we've done at work and he knows the good that we've done and the promise here is that he will repay us for our faithfulness to him. It's all about him. The parallel passage in Colossians 3 adds a bit of a warning. It says this, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. So our future review of a lifetime holds both promise for good and evil. Promise a recompense of reward and consequence. We're not told what the consequence is, but you can be sure to this. The reward is going to be awesome. Every Christian has a review of a lifetime coming and a large part of that review will be the evaluation of what each of us has done occupationally, how we have used our time at work. And as we seek to please our Master Jesus as to Christ, even when overlooked, we hold on to the promise that He will reward our faithfulness to Him. It's all about Christ. So let me just wrap up by saying this. This passage is in our Bibles to help us Christians see how God changes the way that we are to work. We work as to Christ. Work is good. We work from our hearts. Christians work according to a higher standard, the will of God. Christians work with an eager affection, joy. 
Christians work for a future review and reward. When we worship through Christ, through our work, we will stand out as light of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our master, and we are so grateful that you have bought us with your blood, and you have... um, called us to obey you. God, we don't want to obey anybody else. We want to honor you above all, and out of that, love other people. God, I pray for those in the room who, are having, who have hard uh, work situations. God, would you draw their gaze to you? In Jesus' name, amen.